What's up? I'm Doug Kide. Welcome to Pat's Chat. Here with Michael Hurley. Mike, so much news to get through today. Let's keep oh. this intro as short as possible. How are you doing on this fine Sunday evening at 9.11 p.m.? Ooh, sensitive number there. I have a question for you. Apologize. This is a personal question, and it's sad, but like, do you get as depressed as I do when football winds down and ends? From It's like a slow, they wean you off of it from the super wild card weekend of six games to the four the four games of divisional weekend to two games to zero to one and then you're done for so it it genuinely affects my overall happiness which is sad but does it happen to you i'm gonna say that i think that this plays into the area of the country of which we choose to live and that is Mm -hmm. new england Mm -hmm. because like finding something to do just on saturday in new england during the winter when it's, it's tough, zero tough enough when you throw Sunday into the mix as well. Like mm-hmm. we literally just sat in our house to, like we went to the gym, which we usually do on Sunday morning. No big deal. I exercised. <laughs> um, but then for the rest of the day, it's like, I'm like, all right, Jen, my wife, what do you want to do uh, with these two children of ours for the rest of the day? And it's like, I don't know. And then I'm like, well, I don't know. So I went on like a 15 minute walk with them and otherwise just sat around the house. And I don't know if you have one of these children, but my my five year old. I have two. I have two uh, of Olivia, them. Actually, yeah, they call them children. She, yeah, she never stops talking. I love her to death. Yeah, she's like the greatest person on the, in the world. Literally, from like the moment she wakes up until the time she goes to bed, she never stops talking. And mm-hmm. that's great. It creates conversation. But at a certain point, you're like, I'd like there to stop being talking. And and that's yeah. the problem with these Sundays is that I could go upstairs and watch football on Sundays, and now I can't mm-hmm. do that anymore. Yeah. No, my daughter's. Uh, I wouldn't say not stop, but they also sing uh, freestyle, <laughs> top of the head, not like songs from movies or anything, just constant singing at times. So it's yeah, it's a beautiful sound. I'll miss it yes. years yeah. later when they're not doing yeah. it. But there are times like an hour nine of it. You're kind of like, I would I would not mind like some quiet, but it, it's part of the deal. But anyways, the point is, Doug, it's getting there and it sucks um, and it's sad and I have no positive spin on it. And it, the saddest part is like, even when football sucks, it's still football. Even right. when that Monday night Cowboys-Bucks game, and you know it's going to suck, you're locked in for three hours and you're entertained. It's something about, I remember like when my little brother was a baby, like a baby baby, he was born in October, he would watch football. And when it would go to commercials, he would you know, look around, but then the game would come on, he would watch football. And say, There's something <laughs> about the colors and the movement and the helmets yeah. that just is arresting and captivating. And we haven't had it. And today was tough, Doug. Uh, the Pro Bowl flag game did happen, but there was no helmets. Can I can, yeah. can, can we do top top of the podcast thoughts on the uh, flag football game today, which I watched maybe ten minutes of. My daughter was was into it. Surprisingly, there were at least fifty five thousand people in the stadium watching this. I feel as a nation we have failed that this <laughs> attracted that many people in a city with plenty to do. Plenty of Lots entertainment of options yeah. in Las Vegas. It's not like living in Massachusetts in February. And at least 55,000. I don't know the capacity of that stadium, but it was almost filled. There were only empty seats up in the area where Patriots fans get verbally harassed by women and get free trips to Patriots games on Christmas Eve. And it was stupid. It was it was so useless that I guess it ties into the addiction thing. We are We are what we are. Well, I mean, for me personally, 
because I'll watch I'll watch college football games that matter, or I'll watch uh, my Washington Huskies play college football. But otherwise, I'm not a big like sitting on the couch on a Saturday at noon to watch like two unranked teams play. And right. I feel like like I will watch every single NFL game that I possibly can, mm-hmm. but I have a hard time. No offense to the, to the people who who run these games. I have a hard mm-hmm. time watching the Shrine Bowl. I have a hard time watching the Senior Bowl. And I didn't even really necessarily try to watch a lot of the the Pro Bowl stuff because it's just like like some like I love football and I'll even like I'll even take my daughter to a high school football game because mm-hmm. it's just like kind of something fun to do on a Friday night. And I'll watch that because it feels like it matters. But like a football game that doesn't matter is it's just it's NFM. It's not for me. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not appointment viewing for me. Yeah. Um, I will say Thursday night, whatever skills were on, I don't even remember. There was like I watched some of that, yeah. And my daughter, and it was good time. It was six to eight thirty or something. So my eight year old ended up watching a ton of it and loving it. So I got the perspective of why it might exist because my daughter doesn't really like football. She doesn't really watch football. I told her Tom Brady was retiring, and she said, "Yay!" And I said, "Wow, yay!" <laughs> now other people can win. So I have sure. taught them well, but. Yeah. She was totally into whatever was going on, and I, I found it very boring. There was dodgeball. There was, I don't know, dodgeball was the worst of the bunch. But so the appeal to kids, like the Nickelodeon playoff game, my kids would always watch. I don't know why they didn't yeah. do one this year. Yeah, it was weird. Um, so I get, I get why they do some of these things. But for me, like you said, not for me, not for me. I, I don't know who could have sat through the ten minutes, uh, more than ten minutes of the flag football game. And then my friend actually sent me a video. I don't, I didn't, I don't remember who it was. A receiver. They were doing like fanciest catch and the man jumped off a trampoline and did like a a triple somersault spin thing trying to catch into i'm like if the point of this is so they don't get injured playing football they shouldn't be doing that like that 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 was my player i'd be like stop please stop yeah i when i was when i was a kid like i loved the pro bowl challenge things like oh yeah if you caught that on the saturday before the pro bowl like if you didn't have anything to do that day your family wasn't dragging you out somewhere like that was great and that's kind of how I felt about the Thursday night stuff. But flag football with NFL players, it's just like, I don't know. I'm sure it's for someone. And like you said, maybe kids will like it and stuff like that. But like, it doesn't fill the void, personally. Um, no. But for, so for the next 30 minutes or so, I think we're going to have to talk about the Will Lawing hire for the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, why it matters, where we think he's going to fill in. Um, in all seriousness, I don't have a lot of thoughts on Will Lawing. No. But it is... I will say that like the potential there would be that he would fill in for Nick Kelly at tight ends coach, right? That maybe right. not expecting Nick Kelly back. Would that be the expectation maybe based on that? Or is he just like a body? Is he a guy that you had to your offensive mm. staff who's got some experience? Uh, probably makes sense as a tight ends coach, given his history with Bill O'Brien right. as a tight ends coach. My thoughts on Will Lying, uh, he was born November 27th, 1985. He is an American football coach who is an offensive assistant for the New England Patriots of the National Football League. He previously served as an assistant coach at Penn State University and Juniata College. Lying has served with the Texans in various assistant coaching roles since 2014. Um, that's that's the gist of my thoughts on Will Lying. So his, his I, I think it's a great Wikipedia hire. doesn't even include his Alabama tenure, so that yeah. needs to be updated. You know what my, my biggest thought on Will Lying is? He he also I'll, went to college to from 2004 to 2008. Oh, he born in November 85. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. That's Unless amazing. he was held back or something, which well, I at mean, that he, point. He, yeah. 
he would have been significantly no, yeah, older than the rest of his class. He was a tight ends coach at Juniata College in 09. So Exactly. Well, so I guess 08, the fall 08. of 08, he could have graduated in 09, technically. Because um, the fall of 08. Oh, that's fair. Fall, in my that's opinion. That's fair. Maybe he redshirted. He played – he called uh, – you missed this. Lyon played college football for the North Carolina Tar Heels. So it's yeah. certainly possible that he could have redshirted one year at UNC – and he still would have been a so at 2004 to 2009 maybe in college, got that extra yeah. year. I would um, hope I I would welcome another when when he has a press conference at some point I'll be like hey are you 04 to 08 and he'd be like what and I'd be like <laughs> college 04 08 he'd be like yeah man like good question <laughs> looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah no that's uh that's that's the best thing I think to say about Will Long. Um Not a lot of thoughts there but. We'll yeah. see if he can maybe it's, if he is the tight end coach, coach. Yeah, could he get more production out of the uh, out of the tight ends on on the New England Patriots? That would be a uh, that'd be big for him. It would. It's a good start, but um, not much, not much there. I'm I'm digging deep into the graduation rate because oh, previous college North Carolina, oh wait. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he joined UNC as a walk on prior to the 2004 season. I'm now looking at his UNC bio. Um, you know, this is this is the kind of stuff Ooh. that you tune into Pat's chat for. He enjoys playing golf, playing pool, wakeboarding, and lifting weights. That's big for a football player. Very yeah. important. Uh, his favorite NFL team is the Carolina Panthers, and would like to switch places for a day with Tom Cruise. He was an mm. exercise and sports science major. So mm. um, I, a, I think there's there's a lot thing, to glean on out of all out of all of that. Not sure how you feel about this. He was a December 2008 graduate, so it doesn't quite align with the 04 to 08. It was 08. December 2008. He was a winter okay. graduate. I was, you know what? I was almost a, a December 2008. So yeah, maybe he slacked uh, off a maybe, little there. Maybe, or you know, it's either that he slacked off a little bit, or that he had to continue to play football. Um, so that's why he graduated at the time. Personally, I was almost a December 08. I was a. I think it was technically maybe like an August 08. I think I had to do oh, some yeah. summer classes, then I graduated. Mm. But so we're basically the same, you know. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. Um, Good will lying talk. I would say I'm going to end it. I'm going to say <laughs> cease the will lying talk. We did it. I think we nailed it. I think we definitely nailed it as well. I, uh, you know, I was uh, being facetious off the top. There's not a lot of Patriots news to get to on this show, so it probably won't be like one of those hour, twelve minute shows. Uh, but there was, I feel like, some Jonathan Jones press over the last mm-hmm. week or so. Um, some talk about whether or not he could fill in. He's kind of a team leader for Devin McCourty. And it's just going to be some big shoes to fill, filling in for Devin mm. McCourty. And, like, yeah, maybe Jonathan Jones, based on the players who are currently on the Patriots defense or in the secondary, would be the best choice since he's played a lot of positions. He's the oldest player of the bunch. But... To my, he's never been a, a captain up to this point, whereas I believe Devin McCourty was a captain in his second season in the NFL. Uh, Devin McCourty, a pro bowler, an all-pro. Jonathan Jones, a very solid player, but not up to that caliber of player. And I would say that just based on like talking to Jonathan Jones for stories in like press conferences, all that kind of stuff... Um, doesn't necessarily, at least with the media, have the same kind of verbal skills as a leader, as a vocal leader uh, that Devin McCoy did. So, uh, you know, there's something there. I think that he's a good leader to have on the team. But like leaders in the way of Devin McCourty, Gerard Mayo, Matthew Slater, they don't really like 
grow on trees so much. So mm. I I kind of stop. I, I it gives me pause to compare someone to Devin McCourty as a leader personally. Yeah, I will say it's clear. You mentioned talking to him and stuff. It's clear he's very well liked uh, among the defensive backs. That he's whole, very smart. Yeah, that row of the locker room seems to always be pretty tight and pretty connected. The defensive yeah. backs in the middle there. Um, but yeah, I think it's a fair point if Devin McCourty retires, which I think we would probably lean toward that happening, is there's plenty of guys that are high character, uh, good performers, well-liked, but like you said, they're a rare bunch when they have the quality of McCourty, and there are different types of it. Like I think back to the, the early Belichick days when you had like your McGinnists, your Malloys, you had mm-hmm. guys that were sort of intimidating almost. They were sort of... They would make sure the younger players did it because if Willie McGinnis is mad at you, as we unfortunately saw in some surveillance video recently, he's not messing around. Uh, whatever happened to that? Kind of quietly. I don't know. That did anyways. Kind of, yeah. Anyways, uh, that was really wasn't my point. But I think a guy like McCordy is <clears throat> produces similar results from teammates, but it's more, all right, I've been doing this forever. This is how we do it. Listen to me. I'm the communicator. I won't mess up, so I won't steer you wrong. And it, it, it just sort of goes from there like you said mayo before that i think was probably similar i don't think mayo mm-hmm. was was a, he was he was friendly and nice but i'm sure there was the, there's the all business side that it's sort of the blend that that mm-hmm. i think guys like that have and like you said being a captain from the get-go is is is, is probably a factor there that i don't know and it's not i don't know we, we singled it out with jones but maybe just roster wide and we talked about it a few weeks ago, maybe, where if you do lose Slater and McCordy in the same offseason, it's just, I hate to use the term Patriot way because it's always been sort of meaningless. Yeah. But it's more or less the championship culture uh, right. really is eroded. It, not, eroded is the wrong word, but just naturally has dissipated. Yeah, and like even just to that point with like guys like McCordy, Slater, Mayo, um, obviously Brady, who can be hard to find like like Dante Hightower was a captain at times on defense, also mm-hmm. a very high caliber player, but like, I wouldn't even necessarily say that he like fits in that, that echelon of team leaders as those other guys do. Um, yeah. And I think that that's maybe as strong of a point as you can make that those other guys are hard to find because like Dante Hightower was really good. He made really impactful plays. Um, he was very smart. He was a strong leader and he wasn't even necessarily a captain from essentially day two, the way some of those other guys were, um, and wasn't a captain year after year after year after year. So, yeah, it's going to be hard to find. And I think that also, like, the fact that the Patriots had so many players that you could, like, put in that bubble, and you could even say, like, Julian Edelman or James White or things like that. Like, I, this this Patriots roster needs a lot of work because even looking past the leadership, there's not those guys on this roster who have made four or five Pro Bowls or have made like four or five All-Pro teams. Um, and I don't know. Obviously, the, the Patriots have good young players on their roster. I think that Kyle Duggar, Michael Onwenu, Marcus Jones, like there's a lot of potential on the Patriots roster. But to expect those guys to become those guys who make Pro Bowls or make All-Pro teams is still a lot to ask at this point. Yeah, and I guess the other... Pro Bowl point is the only person there from the Patriots is Matt Judon, who right. is clearly a Pro Bowler. But yeah, uh, it's it certainly stands out, and it goes back to last summer. I know some fans 
took offense to those ESPN rankings based on executives, players, coaches, but you could quibble with some things like Judon was left off that list, but right. the overarching point that they're not loaded with, with players that the league considers elite mm-hmm. is somewhat telling. And so there, there's definitely work to be done. I don't know where they're going to do it though. With the needs on the line, it's so difficult to, I don't know, spend at a, at a luxury position like wide receiver or something like that. It feels like right. they have to, are they still a build from the line out team? Are they different now? Are they going to have a, a quicker passing game? I don't know, but it, a big part of the leadership void, Doug can be, I think they like Mac Jones. I think they like the way he handled last year. I think they like yeah. the way he handled the the zappy game against the bears. Um, again, when the Patriots lost to the bears, the last game, the bears lost, won in the whole season. Um, they won in, in Foxborough, you forgot, but the way that he handled that, maybe, maybe at the end of the year when he was chirping a lot, I know like Julian, Julian Edelman has been critical of that. Maybe that sort of was stuff spilling over, but I don't know. Matthew Judon did talk about that and and put his support behind Mac Jones at the, I don't know what else he's going to say. I don't think he's going to call him our idiot liquored up kicker, but you know, I I think there's a, a chance there to, to, to build around. Uh, if if Bill O'Brien empowers him to do so, so I think that's a huge story, given the the significance of the position. No, it definitely is, and that would obviously help. And you know, as far as like early round picks in this year's draft, I will say that like obviously the line is, is important, and like you probably your biggest need would probably be at offensive tackle this year. Mm-hmm. It, it is a little tough to take an offensive lineman in the first round two years in a row. Um, you know, like, obviously it can be done. Off the top of my head, the Patriots haven't done that previously, correct? They haven't taken a first-round pick in consecutive years on offensive line. I mean, just offensive line. Taking, like, Mankins. The first round. Mankins, Solder. Win. Win and Strange. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Off the top of my I'm- head. I'm buzzing, but I think us. Oh, yes, Matt so Light was... was second round. Uh, Adrian Clem was second round. So it's not a position that I mean, it's a position that they've used first round picks on fairly frequently over the 21 or 22 years that Bill Belichick has been with the team. Um, but I don't know. That's just it's kind of a tough pill to swallow, especially when I think Nicole Strange certainly could still be a very good offensive lineman in the NFL. But it's not as if he lit the world on fire. Uh, right. last season as a rookie uh, clearly still needs some strength uh, there was times that he was like kind of borderline benched as a rookie mm-hmm. which isn't something that you love to see out of a rookie so I don't know I, I think that if you could potentially sign free agents or you know use maybe a second or third round pick on an offensive lineman like it wouldn't be necessarily the worst thing in the world I think to use the first round pick on a cornerback or on a linebacker or someone who can be like that foundational piece on a team or at least on defense who could maybe take on some of that leadership aspects in the future. Because like, you know, to, to that point, I don't want to belabor it, but like Jawan Bentley, clearly a very good leader. He was a captain, I think for three years at Purdue from the time that he was a sophomore and he's been a captain here as well. He's just not as good as the other players. I think that like being incredibly good at your job carries more weight than just leadership skills. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're looking at the roster needs, but can leadership be filled in an offseason? 
I don't know that. No, I don't think it can. Possible. But I think that it's it's kind of a future need as well. I, I don't know. Like I think that you yeah. need to build the next foundation at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's part of moving on, I guess. I, it's hard because they have a good young core. So I guess maybe we don't know. Would we have talked about? I guess we might have. Would we, in year two would we have talked about Dante Hightower sort of as what he became? Because I remember in Super Bowl Forty Nine going out to Phoenix. Right. I remember looking up at the big banners, and it was like Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, and like Richard Sherman, and then it was Tom Brady. Uh, not sure who else would have been, maybe Edelman, and then it was Dante Hightower. I remember thinking like, "Huh, that's pretty big for him to, right. to take that leap forward and and appear in major banner promotions for the game." So maybe it is a little bit more gradual. I, I do feel like I used like the first two or three years on my on the beat as being like a Dante Hightower defender because there were yeah there were Patriots fans in 2013, 2014, maybe 20 like whenever he was getting injured a decent amount, like there was a lot of criticism over Dante Hightower. I was like, guys, this guy's really good. Yeah, maybe he's yeah. on the field for like every snap for 19 games or whatever it is, but like he he was a fantastic player and that's a player that the Patriots could certainly use at this point. And I don't know like there were also there were times where like He'd get assigned to cover a running back on a wheel route, <laughs> right? It would be like, what are we? And doing he would there? get beaten. Event. It was like, yeah. well, not the best setup for him. Not really yeah. his skill set. Yeah, the the six two, two hundred and seventy pound linebacker maybe shouldn't be covering twenty yards downfield. Scat back. But, yeah, more of a, yeah. more of a thumper than a than a cornerback. But no, good play. It's uh, it's very true. But I don't know. It's like we're probably going a little bit further down this line than than we necessarily need to. But I do just think that when your captains are Dietrich Wise and they're, you know, Jawan Bentley, like I mentioned before, and the next year they might have to be someone like uh, Jonathan Jones. But that's if he even comes back. Right. And, like, yeah. I, I think that he probably won't cost so much that it won't be prohibitive to bring him back just because he's now on his third NFL contract. Um, he's 30 years old. I don't think he's going to get, like, top of market money at cornerback. Um, if the Patriots do want to bring him back, it probably would make more sense to bring him back as a slot or maybe even as a safety than it would as an outside cornerback. I think ideally you'd like to fill those two outside roles with someone else. Um, but then also moving him to safety, to free safety to, to fill in for Devin McCourty. I've always liked that idea because he did play that position a decent amount in Super Bowl 53. I personally like the idea of converting a cornerback to free safety because free yes. safeties are hard to find in the NFL because you need to be fast and very smart. Uh, and Jonathan Jones is fast and very smart. I think that he could have like a, a second career as a free safety. And if you can find those two outside cornerbacks, if you put Marcus Jones in the slot, then that's probably the best way to use him moving forward. I want to reset. I want to rewind time. I want to start the Jonathan Jones segment of the podcast with that thought. Because I think that's the money thought. Because I think yeah. that's, if you do lose McCourty, a guy that knows your system, knows your coaching staff, knows what to do, when to do it, and he is sort of a right place, right time guy, I find. When he yeah. gets his picks, it's similar to McCourty, where you're like, how could the quarterback throw it to him? He's right there. But those right. things don't happen by coincidence. So I like that idea. If you do lose McCourty, I kind of I like Jonathan Jones as a free safety more than I like him as an outside corner, I think. Yeah, no, I I definitely do. And I legitimately think that I've been writing 
in some form or another that Jonathan Jones should move to free safety when Devin McCourty retires for like four years now. Now maybe it becomes a possibility uh, because, yeah, I don't I – and mean, Kyle Duggar, not the best fit for free safety. Adrian Phillips, not the best fit for free safety. Jabril Peppers, I'm like blanking on the other – Joshua Bledsoe. Joshua not, Bledsoe, not the best fit for sure. free safety. IMO, he's just a little bit on the slower side. So I do think that – um, those guys could still play the safety positions, and then you move Jonathan Jones back there, then you find two outside cornerbacks. But that's also easier said than done. We've got some late-breaking news in here. Uh, oh what are we, 24 minutes into the podcast? Yeah. This comes from Albert Breer. The Rams are hiring ex-Patriots tight ends coach Nick Cayley as their guess his job. Guess his job with the Rams. Pass game uh, coordinator. Tight ends coach. <laughs> so oh, takes so, a lateral yeah. move. Uh, with the Rams, I do think that, you know, being on the Rams staff historically has meant good things for right. offensive coaches' careers. So maybe that's the same thing for Nick Cayley. I have some doubts personally about the Rams moving forward. And, like, this might be a conversation for another day. But, like, Sean McVay seemingly wanted to retire this offseason. Mm. Like, that was just a very strange storyline of, like, Will he or won't he come back? He was allowing his staff to pursue other jobs. He was like, very weird scenario. Matthew Stafford didn't play well last year, didn't play that much last year, mm-hmm. uh, had a contusion in his neck. He had arm issues coming into the season. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of questions on the Rams team as a whole right now. And like, I do still think that it probably makes more sense for him to move up through the ranks on the Rams staff rather yeah. than the Patriots staff. But also being a Rams offensive coach doesn't mean quite as much as it did maybe two to three years ago. Yeah, eventually the well runs dry. But no, I think that's a good place to be. I wonder what their quarterback situation, though, is. I know Baker showed up there in war, what, number 17? Really looked off. <laughs> yes. but was I don't know. He's a 5'11 quarterback. No, it didn't really. It's he a tall man's it, number. But... I think it just tells you that obviously it was over here. Yeah. When, but they did interview him, which I find interesting. The Patriots did, which was that. I just, just still feel like it was like maybe a solid. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Jets interviewed him, and he had another interview. Texans. Texans. I guess that's surprising because the John Carroll connection with Casario was supposed to deliver that one. So. Yeah. I guess that wasn't happening. So. Uh, well, we, yeah. we kind of saw this coming. I think this was a last year. Maybe this is beyond getting over the fact that you were completely passed over for two guys that had no business running an offense. So right. if, if that's the case, then it was done when it was done. I would also say that his – I think the best way for him to kind of ease in as an offensive coordinator would have been under an offensive head coach and not necessarily like, you know – under um, D'Amico Ryans, not under Robert Sala, um, not under who, not under Bill Belichick, <laughs> honestly, because like I think that it's it's probably best to like kind of not run the show, not bring in your own system, uh, to kind of work under someone else's system. Maybe still call plays because like Nick Sirianni doesn't call plays with the Eagles, and they're just fine with Shane Steichen, and like that's the best way for him to do it. Um, but yeah, it's I guess. A little bit surprising that everyone and their mother has reported how well respected he is around the league and like clearly he found another job mm-hmm. but not maybe as high caliber as a lot of people expected 
it's going to be a tough transition for him coming from a no days off uh, grinding a staff that grinds at the Shrine Bowl to going to McVeigh where he's probably like, hey, bro, it's five o'clock. You got to get out of here, man. I might retire again this offseason. So it's, it's going to be a culture shock for him. But no, I think you're Could right. Be the head coach there next year. He might be. But it, it makes sense to be in a system where there's a lot of offensive minds and you can play a role and contribute to right. it, which he obviously didn't have here last year. At all. Even though it was a collaborative yeah. effort. We were told it's a collaborative effort. Everyone's great. Everything's working great. Everyone's collaborating. Didn't quite yes. work out that well, but there you go. No, it's true. Uh, but, yeah, they've got Michael Fleur as their offensive coordinator now. Um, clearly, obviously, Sean McVay is head coach. And I don't think that Zach Robinson has found a new job yet. So he's still around as well as pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Though I think that he was interviewing – other places. I don't know. I have a yeah, question for you. I'm going to put you on the yeah. spot. Yes. How many coaches have left the Patriots on a lateral move? Ooh, God. Um, I remember they fired Dean Pease. That was like the lone firing, really. Ch- Chad O'Shea left for an OC job? Oh, oh, I Brendan think? Daly. Brendan Daly was lateral. Defensive line. Right, yeah. Chiefs, which um, although there was a lot he... that left that year. That was the yeah. Flores leaving year. Right. Um, and yeah, Brendan Daly, I think just oh. was going to like keep getting passed up as a defensive coordinator. So Carmen Brasillo went O-line coach to O-line coach. So did he leave voluntarily though? Wasn't yeah, he went with, come back? No, no, no. That was Dave DeGuglielmo. Oh, Brasil, Brasil. Yeah, yeah. Brasil was last yes. year. Oh yeah. Went O-line no, like O-line. last year, but that was, that was weird last year. They needed an O-line coach and they let him leave for a lateral move and didn't seem to mind it. So there was, yeah, I mean, there was him out of his contract. Yeah, so bad question by me, I guess, because we just named a few guys. Um, I think that Brendan Daly might have added run game coordinator to his role when okay. he left for the Chiefs, which, I mean, honestly doesn't really mean a whole lot, I think, in the grand scheme of things, but, like, mostly lateral move, like a slightly elevated lateral move there for Brendan Daly. But Brendan Daly, he's is coaching the, a lot of Super Bowls at this point in his life. Is the run game coordinator often a defensive coach? Well, on defense, because you can be oh, a run the game coordinator on defense. Run game coordinator. Yes. Yeah. So that's not a real. That's just that's just <laughs> right. a that's that's a there. that's a nice title. But yeah, uh, he he joined linebackers coach. He joined the Patriots in 2014. He left yes. the Patriots after 2018 and went right to the Chiefs. So he is like <laughs> Mr. February. We needed 30 for 30 on this guy. Yeah, it's unbelievable because like he left the Vikings and then the Rams as well. So like like things were not going well for him team success wise. And then it was yeah. just like to the moon for, for yeah. Brendan Daly. So good guy that Brendan the, Daly. We got to ask the question. Yeah. I don't know him personally. He just looked like a psycho on the sideline. So I know he's a good football coach. Yeah. Like, but he's an, he's a very, very nice and pleasant man off the field. I'm sure. So, yeah. so we have to ask the question, Doug, was it Belichick or was it Daly? I mean, I've been asking that for years. I mean, it's all gone downhill since Daly left. Um, clearly would have been the right choice to take over as head coach right there in 2019, get Bill out, let him leave on top. Tom Brady Brendan has Daly's. only won. He's only won four Super Bowls without Brendan Daly. <laughs> that is true. And it's a fact. It's like, just a fact. I, Matthew Slater's never won a Super Bowl without Brendan Daly. Devin McCourty's never won a Super Bowl without Brendan Daly. Julian Edelman's never won a Super Bowl without yeah. Brendan Daly. The list goes true. on. It's all true. Anyways, um, I guess, I guess he adds to that list of coaches that spend you know, but that, that does seem to be more of a common thing, I guess. If you go back to 2019, 
with Flores leaving, with O'Shea leaving, with uh, the great Jerry Shaplinsky, who we've mentioned before, <laughs> leaving, uh, and Brendan Daly leaving. Uh, there's been a lot of exodus, and it just added to the list. And now there's different caliber. There's your Skarnekias, there's your Fears, there's your Adams. But then I think all these other departures yeah, do add, up. add up. So it's it's another person you've got to replace. And even if they have it and will lying, there's, there's still other positions that are going to need some filling. So it doesn't help the your, Patriots. You've got your Austin Forts. You've got your, your Pat Stewart's. Yep. You've got your Dewan Daniels. I, cre- honestly, though, credit to those guys. They knew when to get out. <laughs> like they, yeah. they predicted it, I'd say, better than a lot of the New England media did. I think that we all sort of thought like, eh, this is never going to end. The Patriots are just going to keep winning Super Bowls. Tom Brady's going to stay as quarterback. And it's it's all going to be gravy for the next ten years, and they got out when the getting was good, and uh, yeah, credit to them for for knowing when to leave. I thought Brendan Daly was nuts. He was not. He's having he a good time. Was not. He's having a good time there in KC. The we're we might do a show. Uh, yeah, we might do a show before the Super Bowl, but yeah, I I think the I think the Chiefs are going to win. That would be I my don't. my initial thought. You don't. Interesting. No. The Eagles. So wait, just, wait. Who do you think is going to win then? The officials. Oh <laughs> no, we'll save we'll save it for the next podcast. But I, okay. uh, the general feeling is that the Eagles have been such a just force, and they've lost really one game with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, and it was to the Washington Commanders, and just a total no show. Not like yeah. a not like a overpowered outmatched type situation. So I've yet to see them overmatched this year, and. I don't necessarily look at the roster and say this is unbeatable, but I just look at the results. They're a wagon, so I, I'm going. I'm go, probably going to go Philly. I, I feel that in my bones. Well, we'll talk about it more on next show. I, I'm a little bit afraid that the path to the Super Bowl for them yeah. was beating the Giants, who are yeah. bad. Uh, like analytically, one of the weaker playoff teams of all time, and Ooh. then they had to beat the 49ers, who mm-hmm. had basically no quarterback for yes. half of that game. Uh, uh, more so than that's half. A little, it's a little scary, um, but we'll talk about it more on next show. I did want to talk since we're, since we're talking Super Bowlers right now, and there's not a whole lot of other news, as we mentioned, yeah. really to the Patriots. Um, what, what, what was your favorite Patriots Super Bowl? There's how many – we weren't alive for the 1985 Super Bowl. Uh, when, yeah, because we went to college were, 04 to 08. No, I was 86. When were you born? May? July July 86. July 86. So I'm a month older than you. June 86. Nice. Um, so neither one of us were alive in January of 86. So we can nix that one from the yeah. group. Uh, but you've got 2001. you got 2003. You got uh, 2004. Don't forget 97. You got 97. I almost I did 10. forget about that. Uh, you've got Nobody's 07. Favorite. You've got 11. You've got 14, 16, 18. So that yeah. would be nine Super Bowls that they have played in since we've been alive. Yeah. Well, I mean, most important is obviously 36. And it's got to be a favorite just because I don't know of anyone that thought the Patriots had a chance in that game. And right. to see it play out, the tie law pick six, you're kind of like, oh, my God. And then the David Patton touchdown, you're just like, huh? Like, that, like I don't think we can ever have that feeling replicated. That was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of in a class by itself. There's been a hell of a lot of entertaining Super Bowls, though. Like, 38 was an incredible game. Mm-hmm. No score in the first half, a million points in the first quarter, a million points in the second quarter. 
chaos, Brady throwing end zone picks. Uh, you might remember they, they basically got in field goal range to win the game, but they called a BS OPI on Troy Brown. And the Patriots mm-hmm. were so good back then, they just got it back on the next play. Uh, that was a great one. The Eagles one kind of sucked. Mm-hmm. 42 was great. 46, those were two really lousy teams, really a down year. Fun game, yeah. though. Yep. Um, I guess the post ones, it's got to be Seattle. That's where I'm landing on, despite there being many other great ones and 28-3 mm-hmm. to three being it. But I still look at the photograph of Malcolm Butler intercepting <laughs> the ball, and I'm like, how did he – what yeah. the hell? How? I still can't believe it. I see the replay every time. I'm like, he's not going to pick that off. So to me, just that whole game, the comeback, the – the who had the catch on the ground? Why am I blanking? Jermaine Curse. Curse, which not just that, but getting up and getting shoved out of bounds by Butler. Butler? Uh, it was because Duran Harmon leapt over him. Yes, didn't touch him. <laughs> which was like such a non-Duran Harmon play. But yeah. yeah, so so my answer is that one, which is crazy because 51 is obviously, it's, it's like there's a whole movie about it, 80 for Brady, starring Lily Tomlin, Rita Moreno, <laughs> Jane Fonda, and Sally Field. Sally Field. They made a, yeah. There's a whole cinematic masterpiece out about yeah. it, but I'm going 49 for the significance, for re- reigniting the dynasty, and for how ridiculous the ending was. I guess just to be different from you, I'll say 51, but I was thinking 49 as well. And like just personally too, that was the first Super Bowl that I covered. Um, and it was between two teams that meant a lot to me. I grew up in Seattle, uh, so I followed the Seahawks pretty closely when I lived out in Seattle. Even though when they changed their uniforms while I was living in Massachusetts, they suddenly felt like a completely different team, which is something that uh, was like a very of its time thing because like couldn't really watch the Seahawks that much when I moved out. Right. Here. But uh, beyond that's beside the point Then I moved out to New England. So it was Patriots Seahawks. That was pretty cool. Being in Arizona that week was very cool. And yeah, it was just like, I mean, clearly in, in that moment, there was no way that the Patriots were going to win that Super Bowl before that Malcolm Butler uh, interception. But yeah, but I, I guess I would say like, just to be different from you, I guess I'd say 51 just because of the comeback uh, that was another fun week in Houston. I would say that, like, personally, I knew what I was doing covering a Super Bowl much more yeah. by Super Bowl 51 than I did in Super Bowl 49. Like, I was by myself in Arizona for the week of Super Bowl 49. It was, like, me on the digital side of Nessen and then, like, a photog and a and a and a host or a reporter or whatever on the TV side, but I got like no help from them. So I was writing like 11 yeah. stories a day, I think, uh, that week in Arizona. I didn't really know what to do from a personal standpoint of like covering the Super Bowl or whatever it was. So like, it was mostly, it was fun, but it was mostly a stressful experience. By Super Bowl 51, that was my third Super Bowl I covered. I knew what to do. I had Zach Cox out there helping me. We had help on the desk. It was a, a mm. lot more of a peaceful experience. So, um, yeah, I, I think that Super Bowl 51 would be my answer. But the early ones were great. Um, and Super Bowl 53, kind of a dud. But no, 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 no. I was going to defend the honor of Super Bowl 53 because... I mean, dud is strong, but... People it, hate on it wasn't 53. As, it, it wasn't I will say exciting. this. The Rams had the number two offense in the league, and they got smothered. And I think that is fun to watch. I will grant you the Patriots' offense was sort of dysfunctional and led to some complaints. I get it. There was the pick on the tip pass on the opening drive. They kind of just kept throwing at Chris Hogan. 
despite him never being open. I think he had like nine targets and he's seven eleven. He's always open. He was not open. Um, but I still think that game had a lot. I, I like seeing a defense smother a number two offense. Um, yeah. And that's after Great they beat the number one offense in the Chiefs the week before, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So I think that was a heck of a run. And then you still had 3-3, three, three, something like seven minutes left. Tom Brady gets the ball and says, F this, we're going to win the game. Hits Gronkowski a couple times. It. No, no, it's not your fault. I'm, I'm reacting. It is my fault. Overall. Well, I appreciate it because it, it springboarded me. I almost said springboard. Yeah. It springboarded me because you still had, I, I argue, if any, name an NFL <clears throat> city, Miami, Jacksonville, Carolina, Houston, Dallas, Minnesota, whatever, if they had the drive that the Patriots had to win that game, there would be statues of Gronk making a diving catch. There would be a statue of Brady pumping his fist on the yeah. Sony Michelle touchdown. But here it just sort of became, oh, yeah, there's another one. It was an important one, and I, I think it was more entertaining than it gets credit for. Uh, that's my piece on that. But it's, it certainly wasn't uh, the best one. Immediately, oh, I regret what I said because immediately I after the game, you. Everyone on Twitter was like, that game sucked. And I and I was like looking at Twitter being like, did I just watch a different game? Like, what the hell is everyone talking about? Like, that was a very entertaining game. It was like exciting and it came down to the wire. But everyone on the internet hated the game. And I do remember being like, I disagree with this notion. So I said that out of, I think, public perception of that game. Wow. But at the time, that was not my idea. I was, I was swayed. Yeah. Um, I will say the golf factor, my like the pick was sort of just it was it also it I was mean ugly. it wasn't anywhere near as exciting as 49, 51, no. 36, no. 48. Um, I, a fun thing about that, and if we're doing Super Bowl memories, because it's Super Bowl week and the Patriots used to go a lot. The mic'd up, I don't know, there was a lot of mic'd up thing. I can't keep track of them anymore. But the the play where Jason McCourty ran from a mile away and broke it up in the end zone. Literally, the Rams ran the same play earlier, and they said, uh, who was the receiver? Was it? It was Cooks. Who, it was Cooks, right? Running yeah. like a deep, a deep post. And he was like, I was wide open on the back end. And the Rams were like, if we run that again, he's going to be wide open on the back end. Then you go to he the was. Patriots' sideline. <laughs> they go to the Patriots' sideline, and the McCordys are talking, and he's like, Jason, you got to get over. Because he was basically deep third yeah. to the defensive left side. But with the way that play was designed – he would have to cover the deep middle on a deep, deep post. And they knew it. And the Rams called timeout before that play. And at no point did boy genius Sean McVay tell Goff, look for Cooks. Because I believe there was a play-action element. Uh, so he, he runs the play-action and he looks upfield. Cooks was his third read. Right. And it took him that long and there was a hitch, which allowed Jason McCourt. It's, it's the fact that they weren't like, hey, just remember, Cooks is going to be open on this one. And it right. took them that long to find him. And that's why they lost the game. Uh, they, they could have won that Super Bowl if not for somebody reminding Jared Goff to find the wide open man when they knew he was going to spring wide open. That's, that's crazy to me. I, 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 don't, I don't mean to dump on Sean McVay. He's obviously won since then. But that, that's, that's maybe I've, you've seen learning moments in the NFL in, in big stages. And those mic'd up moments sort of show you. And I think that was a huge one. It definitely was. Um, I've always had the opinion that people overrate the early dynasty teams 
and kind of, or mm. like at least players on the early dynasty teams mm. and underrate players on the later dynasty teams. I mm. think because I don't know, it's like a recency bias of maybe some of those players on later teams messing up more, like not being perfect. And you look back at like with more fondness to those early dynasty teams. And I think that, like I said, that's kind of dissipated in recent years as some of those players on the latter dynasty teams have retired. But it kind of brought back memories of that when I put out there the clip of us talking about the most important player of Tom Brady's career. And I got some responses that were like, clearly Kevin Falk, no question. Or like, (laughs) clearly Troy Brown, no question. And like, no offense, guys, James White was better than Kevin Falk. I know that like there are people who hold those early dynasty teams to the highest regard who think that I am an insane person for saying that. But James White like caught so many more important like he was just he was a better player than Kevin Falk. No offense. I I think it's like and Julian Edelman was better than Troy Brown. No offense. Like it's and and Wes Welker was better than Troy Brown. Like I I think that there were definitely players on those early dynasty teams who were better than the players on the latter ones, like Lee McGinnis, certainly, um, probably Roddy Rodney Harrison, Harrison and Phyla. Mike Vrabel. But, Richard Seymour. Richard Seymour. But there was also a lot of really, really good players on the latter dynasty teams that I think are just now starting to get a little bit more of their due. I'd say. I think what factors into that is what I mentioned earlier about the holy crap, the Patriots one factor. And there's right. no way, by the time all those guys in the second round came around, the Patriots were the bullies and they were the favorites and they were supposed to win. So I think the fact that, you know, Troy Brown runs a punt back in Pittsburgh in the AFC championship game. And then he did the lateral to, was it Gerard Cherry? He had the lateral, right? So like those plays where you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. There's no way that anyone else can get that sort of shine and respect and, and, I, that, that I think the nostalgia plays in too, but I think that's a bigger thing where they were part of a dynasty that sort of surprised everyone. Right. No, definitely. I think that's the strong part of it. I, I, you, I've been, I've been, uh, yeah. Antoine like, Harris, not Gerard Cherry. Gerard okay. Cherry blocked it, I think. Okay. It was very important. We've solved that. That was a great yeah. game. I didn't think they'd win that one, but it wasn't as crazy as the Rams. That was just like, oh, cool. Super Bowl. Like, right. Yeehaw. No, I, I I don't know. I like I said, I think this was a bigger issue a few years ago when some other guys from the latter part of the dynasty were like fading off a little bit more. But now that a lot of them are retired, I think that they're held in a high standard. But I just want people to know that the latter dynasty teams were just as good as the early dynasty teams. And in some and in some ways they were better. Some people know. think the O three O four teams could beat the O seven team, and I'm like it depends when you caught him, I guess, because right. in October of 07, that was the most dominating football team ever. I guess they ran out of speed and that uh, steam that kind of took the wind out of their sails. But I have a question about a later dynasty player because I've always I think I mentioned it before. Trey Flowers thought he was going to be an all pro. What happened to him? I, I mean, he made so much money in when was what was his last year with the Patriots? Was it 2018? 2018? Yeah, like he won the he, Super Bowl. He was like on. I was putting him on all Patriots dynasty yeah. teams. Like yeah, he, he was, was so good, so good 
from he was drafted in 2015 it was like the 16 and 18 <clears throat> brendan um, daly brendan daly yeah Yep, Brendan <laughs> Daly. Absolutely. It's crazy though. He was so good, and he yeah. went to Detroit, made a billion dollars. Yeah. I thought he'd come back here last year on one of those. I, I did too, but then he wasn't healthy in Miami, so that might have explained it. Yeah, he played four games, but I don't know. I, I he was a player I identified. I didn't think the Patriots would pay him, obviously, because he was going to make that elite yeah. free agent money. But I thought he was going to live up to some of that, and boy, he has not. Crazy. He was a product of the Patriots, I think. Um, yeah. And to some degree, I mean, but I think health has been a ma- major factor in the latter part of his career. But I know he was like, he was probably the best defensive player on at least one of those teams, right? On I think he was the 17 I, or I wrote, I wrote, which I always point my nose, I wrote after <laughs> Super Bowl 51 that he was the defensive MVP that game. And I had some evidence to say so. Yeah. Um, pretty significant. I know Hightower sack was sort of the big highlight, mm-hmm. but. I had flowers down. Now, I don't have all the details for you, so I'm just going to have to rely on my own being. I am right occasionally. And that was a story I wanted to write after the game, but my car got towed, so I had to go to a scary tow yard in suburban Houston from a man with a shotgun and a dog and get my rental car back, uh, which got a flat tire, and I just How gave it back to Avis. How did you get your car towed at a Super Bowl? All right, Doug, you remember where the Patriots uh, hotel was in the middle of Houston somewhere, right? Yes. And there was a Walgreens across the street. And all week, we used the Walgreens par- uh, parking lot. We were told to use the Walgreens parking lot yeah. for the hotel. And that's okay. where WBZ's base was. We had a yeah. little room there where all the editors and reporters and everyone was doing everything. So I worked there. Just, to be, the- just to, at the hotel, not the Walgreens, correct? Not at the Walgreens, at the hotel. Yeah. So I parked where I parked all week. I walk across the street. I'm working. My flight was at like 6 a.m. So I was going to work until like 3 and then go right to the airport. Um, and then uh, Dan Roach goes out to get his bag out of the car and calls me. He's like, yeah, your car's not here. And I was just like, oh, oh no. So I couldn't write. We had to track the car down. Dan said he would help me out with the tow guy, try to, you know, grease the skids a little, yeah. get some money off. It did not. No, we were lucky to get. He was leaving, but he stayed there. It was scary. Not going to lie. But we made it to the airport. Uh, one Good of those Lord. classic Super Bowl stories. The, it was a dorky Walgreens manager who was like mad at me. And I was like, why did you tow the car from the Walgreens lot? What was it doing to you at two in the morning? Yeah, seriously. Uh, Brutal. When you know the Patriots Hotel is across the street. I should have fought him, but I didn't. Anyways, uh, that was Houston. Houston, by the way. Big city. Too big. Too big of a city. Too big city. Like, I think that at the time they would like overlay the city of Houston over Boston and it would have been like from like Boston down to Braintree to Natick and like to Danvers or something like that. Yeah. Like that entire area is Houston. Yeah. And like, yeah, like one hotel was downtown. I think that we were staying out kind of closer to where the Patriots were, which was pretty far from downtown. Yeah, it was a fun week, but the travel aspect could have used some work. I spent the whole week in the car because my hotel was like 20 miles east. On the oh, very wow. edge, but still Houston somehow. Right. I don't know. It was crazy. But I should share uh, that I've actually snuck into all the Super Bowls because oh. my credential was to the auxiliary press room or whatever. Right. So in, in 2014, that was a room in the stadium, yeah. which wasn't great, but it was fine. But in 2016, right. it was a tent in the parking lot. I'm like, no, nah, that's that's not going to work for me. Not gonna so I, I went in with people that had the proper credentialing, followed them up. 
the thing is with security at the Super Bowl is they're hired for the Super Bowl. They're right. not regular employees of the stadium. So yeah. I was a little nervous, but we're going up the escalator and there's guards there. And I'm like, oh, hope I don't get stopped. And the lady goes, welcome to the Super Bowl. Woo! <laughs> yeah, and I was like, all right, we're good. And then the ox, the ox press in the stadium, ox box. empty seats and all that. So yeah. that was 51 was the first time I did that. And I was thankful I did. Yeah. Um, and then I did the same for 52 and 53. Um, I actually got stopped in 53 mm-hmm. and rejected by a very vigilant worker. And I was yeah. like, oh, man. And so that was like, if there was four ex- entrances, it was like the last one was the media one. So I went back to the auxiliary room, which was like a full city block away in uh, yeah. Atlanta. In it was Illinois, far away. Yeah. It was, like a, it was yeah. like a conference center. And I waited. It was probably like 1 o'clock and the game's at 6. I waited until like 5. And then I just walked in a, a regular entrance. And the same thing was like, welcome to the soup. And I'm like, thank you. But to avoid letting, I didn't take an escalator. I just did the stairs or like the ramps. Oh, all the way. And I was just pouring sweat. But I knew I had a seat there because my coworker had told me that we were good. He, he had confirmed with people that weren't in their like Telemundo seats. Right. So I'm That's thankful great. for that. Now, yeah. I don't. I had credentials to the Super Bowl. I didn't sneak into the Super Bowl right. per se, but uh, I, I had to wiggle my way in, and I'm glad I did because I don't know about you, Doug, growing up, never anticipated ever being at a Super Bowl, let alone four of them. That, that's a funny thing is that, so this is the first Super Bowl since COVID that I, that I will not be at. And previous to that, I had been at every Super Bowl uh, up until 2014. So 2014, 2015. 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, 21. and now not at this one. Um, and I hope to be back there for 23, I guess, or whatever. But like, I see people tweeting like, oh, like 10-year-old me wouldn't believe that I'm covering the Super Bowl. Like, it literally wouldn't have crossed my mind as a kid right. to be at the Super Bowl. Like, the Super Bowl was something that I watched at home. And yeah, it is pretty unbelievable that even if like I never cover another Super Bowl again, which I don't anticipate happening... Like I had a really, really strong run there of covering a lot of Super Bowls and a lot of really good Super Bowls. So, like I said, don't anticipate that ending. But um, yeah, I, I can't believe that. Yeah, it happened. We're doing the podcast Thursday with our Super Bowl hats on. And we're just gonna be big Super Bowl guys. We're gonna keep the Super Bowl. Super con- Bowl. Yeah, all of all my programs on hand. I love the yeah. Super Bowl. Not gonna lie, the whole day, the food, the the drinks, right. the. I think I did a fire pit last year. Wow. Pre-game, not during the game. I don't have one of those fancy outdoor I'm setups. I'm a big chips and dip guy. I, w- I will say that like when you're in the aux box, I've only I've been in the auxiliary press box for most of the Super Bowls that I've covered. You get like a Sammy. For like a couple. The food in the aux yeah. box like, could definitely use some work. So a few of the years that I was in the aux box, I was able to sneak into the press box to get like oh. the good food. Okay. But if you're in the aux box, you get like a, a roast beef sandwich that's dry that like yeah. comes with like the little packet of mayonnaise or the little packet of yellow mustard. And, and like me personally, I, I'm, I'm a man of distinct, like I'm not a big like yellow mustard or mayonnaise cool. guy. Yeah. Like I could use like a, like an aioli or something. Mm. I could use like a, like a Dijon mustard or a honey yeah. mustard. So that, that was a little difficult for me. I'm Phoenix, the ox room there, not the, I'm not even ox, the, the, uh, like the room that I was right. in. Just yeah. had like bear hot dogs. It was just like, here's a hot dog and a dry bun. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat this and enjoy it. But um, Atlanta, I was really thirsty and I bought a soda 
and it was like two fifty, and I got a wow. oh, it's on my desk at work. It's like a commemorative Super Bowl cup. Atlanta nice. rocks. I loved Atlanta. Yeah. Oh, Atlanta was uh, like I don't know how much people care about this. First of all, I'm going to say this earlier than an, aquarium. an hour and twelve minutes in the podcast. Rate, review, do all that good stuff. Uh, tell us what your favorite Super Bowl is. Um, Atlanta was the mm-hmm. best Super Bowl city that I've covered so far because everything was compacted into one area where you had the hotels and you had the stadium and you had the media workroom. It was all in the same vicinity. And my hotel was within walking distance of everything. And it was great. Your hotel is where they filmed uh, Loki. The media hotel, Loki, uh, Disney plus series where they're like the ministry of whatever. Right. Media hotel was, I, I saw it on the show. I'm like, I've been there. Um, I <laughs> last year's hotel actually also the one in LA was a big like filming location. Oh place yeah, as well. I remember that. Yeah. Well, I didn't yeah. go, but I remember seeing that. Right. Uh, I rode a scooter to that Super Bowl, so that is oh, a life. Yeah. A state trooper wanted to shoot me dead because I was on the sidewalk and not the street. And I'm like, listen, man. He was like, you're supposed to be wearing a helmet. I'm like, yeah, I didn't pack one. <laughs> and he was just like, <laughs> he was what like from the. Do? You could tell he was from the woods. He didn't belong in the city. From the woods. It's Georgia, the Georgia the State Trooper. He could have been Georgia. from the woods. Anyways, we should probably, before I get in trouble with the law, we should probably we should probably put a bow on it. You've admitted to breaking a lot of laws on tonight's podcast. I didn't break a law. <laughs> oh, my microphone fell over. Yeah, it's it's um, it's falling apart here. I uh, just for anyone who's invested, some uh, Harry Potter updates. I've watched Harry Potter yes. four. I've watched Good Harry one. Potter five, and I'm a bad parent. I probably like established that off the top by being like my daughter talks too much, but my daughter watched <laughs> Harry Potter four with me and she also watched Harry Potter five. She was like, she was like, I want to watch Harry Potter four. I was like, all right, we could try. And she liked it. And then a few nights later, she was like, I want to watch Harry Potter five. I was like, all right, I've never seen it. But uh, to my point earlier, watching a movie that she hasn't seen that I haven't seen. Yeah. She just asks questions throughout the entire thing. And I say, a lot of these questions could be answered by watching the movie. Yeah, um, it's so tough. It's she, a tough concept to learn. Yeah, it is, it's a concept that she's picking up. Uh, but, you know, there was a death in both of those. Uh, the I cared about the death in, in Harry Potter 5 a little bit more. Spoiler alert. I'm talking about Sirius Black. That was yeah. uh, that was a tough one. Didn't care quite as much about Robert Pattinson dying in, in Cedric Diggory. Uh, yeah. Cedric Diggory. Yeah, no, um, that's a lot to deal with. Uh, I've learned we my oldest daughter is watching The Mandalorian with us mm. um which is fun to rewatch with her it's a fun show i mean it's kind of love violent a, but love a mandalorian yeah kind of violent but it's like space violence but nope. um it started one of the episodes and there was like the bad guys were raiding a village or whatever and my youngest who's five was in the room and she just broke down crying because there was like little kids in danger yeah so it's tough you you, you don't know what's going to catch the kid the wrong way so be careful I, I maybe we can do a little preview of six i feel like it gets pretty dark toward the end <laughs> oh, like no. it's it's pretty well, dark. Voldemort, I will bad say, guy. I will say in five, like Harry Potter is just always seems like very stressed out. Like there's not a lot of like happiness from Harry Potter in that movie. Yeah. Which it I think dark. isn't like the best thing for a kid. Uh, Olivia didn't realize that Sirius Black had died. And then like I referenced Sirius Black dying. And now she's asked me multiple times, like, how did Sirius Black die? I'm like, well, the, the woman which like blasted him. And, and yeah. she was like, oh, yeah, he did go into that little area or whatever i was like yeah i don't know but in harry potter um, though you get to be a ghost like you never really go away like, right i was like i'm sure he'll be back but um to the mandalorian point 
Mm. I feel like Star Wars kind of messed things up from the beginning with the artist formerly known as Baby Yoda, now known as Grogu, where like when that show came out, they had no merchandising whatsoever for Baby Yoda. I don't know if you really, if you remember this, but like you yeah. could not find Baby Yoda anywhere because it's apparently like either stuff. like didn't anticipate him being a gigantic sensation or didn't want to like spoil him appearing by having him out in this media or whatever. So that in itself, they messed up. Now you can't shake a stick without hitting some sort of baby Yoda merch or Grogu merch or something. But my larger point here is that kids love Grogu. I have a one and a half year old. One of her first words literally ever was Grogu. And there's no programming for kids featuring Grogu. So it's either like, all right, you're going to watch a space Western <laughs> that stars Grogu. Or like, there's like something literally for preschoolers on Disney Plus that has like Grogu like floating in space or something. And like, yes, I understand that everything has to fit into the Star Wars canon. But my point here is that they could probably do some sort of cartoon of the Grogu. Remember in The Mandalorian when he's on the, the planet with all the kids and they're all having fun together or something? Like, they yeah, could probably yeah. spin that off into some sort of like like Muppet Babies type 10 episode series that still fits in the canon, right? Like yeah. you got to have some sort of programming for little kids featuring Grogu. What if there was just a softened cartoon version of The Mandalorian that <laughs> yes. obviously is not a supplement, but is obviously so kids who love wearing the shirts can watch yes. something. That's a great right. idea. I say you get, uh, what's his face, John Favreau on the phone. You can be a co-executive producer. I'm going to call. I'm right a now. witness. I'm a witness, so I would like to be involved some way. I'll be the Brendan Daly of the operation, <laughs> and we can make this happen. I think it's true. Like, my nephew has, like, a Grogu yeah. shirt on one day, and I say to my brother, like, has he ever seen it? He's like, no, he's never seen it. It's right. like, no. it's just natural. Yeah. You're right. My one-and-a-half-year-old has a Grogu stuffed animal that she loves, and, like, that was, like, the number one thing that she needed for Christmas. And like, she yeah. has no idea who this, who this character is. You're right. Um, and neither does my five-year-old. And it is should. funny though. They can't even make a shit like Boba Fett. Uh, what should we, we're like five episodes in. Oh, geez. What should we do? Spoiler it. Oh, we'll bring Grogu back. We'll make it the Mandalorian. <laughs> right. yeah. People love that. Yes. <laughs> they do. I don't know. I feel like uh, Disney really needs to get its act together, clearly. But we said off the top here that this was going to be a shorter episode. Half it has hour. not been. We're an hour and two minutes in at this point. We're talking about Grogu. We're talking about Harry Potter. Uh, we're talking about um, Super Bowl locations. So I think it's probably time to get out of here. Thank you for listening. As always, do you have anything else to add at this point? It's almost the Super Bowl, which is great and depressing because after the Super Bowl, there's no more Super Bowl. But we're not there yet, and it'll never happen, and I'm never going to get old, and I'm never going to die. After football in New England... It is a slow gray death until right around like late April when the leaves start coming out again. And Golf you think it's never going to happen. And then it finally does. Uh, but I'll be heading out on vacation at some point next week. So there's going to be a pre-Super Bowl episode. There's probably going to be a post-Super Bowl episode. But then there might not be another episode until the following Sunday. So just want to get our ducks in a row here while we're talking about it. Uh, follow Mike on Twitter at Michael F. Hurley. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide. Subscribe, rate, review, do all that fun stuff. Um, and we'll talk to you guys Bye. later. Bye. Bye.